cyber deterrence? Is a tougher response to cyber attacks the answer? And ransomware affiliates set to wield greater power? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. President Biden's executive order issued in May this year set out to modernize U.S. cybersecurity defenses and protect federal government agencies, as well as any third parties looking to do business with them. But is this enough? U.S. Senator Angus King spoke with our senior vice president of editorial, Tom Field, ahead of ISMG's New York virtual summit on November 9th and 10th. Here's a clip from the interview where Senator King shares his views on the president's executive order and subsequent response to it. Well, I think it's a step in the right direction. I was positive, but I think it needs to go further. The missing piece that we really haven't talked about too much is deterrence. We can have great cyber hygiene, good patching. Everybody keeps track of their systems. We can do all of that but we cannot patch our way to invulnerability. We just can't. And there has to be, in my view, a deterrent element where adversaries realize that if they attack us in cyberspace, there's gonna be a response and it will be a serious one and it will impose costs. One of the problems as I see it, and I'm you know, sitting through all these hearings in armed services and intelligence, is that we're a cheap date in cyber. The adversary doesn't, you know, they don't worry too much about it. They, they don't worry about getting whacked back. And until we get them to the point where it affects their calculus, that's where we got to get. That's where I think the president and the executive has to take a stronger position. And it's got to be declaratory. It's got to be public. You know, it, it's, it's no good if, if it's a, you know, we have this secret capacity and we're not going to tell you. That's like, you know, Dr. Strangelove. If you've got the doomsday machine, it doesn't work as a deterrent unless people know about it. I think that's a major part of the next step. The best cyber attack is the one that doesn't occur. And right now, if they're sitting in the Politburo in the, in the Kremlin and somebody says, well, let's go after the 2022 elections, the response is, yeah, why not? It doesn't cost much. During a committee meeting, I did a out back the envelope calculation. Putin can hire 8,000 hackers for the cost of one jet aircraft. Holy smoke. Why wouldn't you use the cyber tool unless you're concerned that it will engender a response that will harm you in some way? And it doesn't. It may be cyber. It may be something else. It may be really heavy sanctions. But there has to be a cost imposed, in my view, in order to try to get to a place where this isn't such a constant threat. Now, having said all that, that theory of deterrence doesn't work very well for terrorists for third-party actors. So that has to be part of our strategy too. Right now, we're all talking about state actors and gangs. But when we get to terrorists getting this capability, that's a whole different order of magnitude. And it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to. And that's something we have to prepare for as well. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. We always want to anticipate the cyber criminals' next moves. And one person who's paying close attention to how the ransomware ecosystem is evolving is John Fokker, the principal engineer and head of cyber investigations for advanced threat research at McAfee Enterprise. He recently shared some fascinating insights with our executive editor of Data Breach Today and Europe, Matthew Schwartz, 
about how and why the ransomware attacker balance of power has been shifting to favor affiliates. What we're seeing and what we think is going to happen that there is going to be a power balance shift. So historically, and we've reported on this, and I think it's been, been explained in the media quite often, is that if you look at ransomware as a service, it was pretty much from the beginning when it started with CTV Locker, like years back, there was a strict hierarchy. It was kind of a pyramid type of structure where you had the ransomware developer at the top or the admins, as I call it, and they would say, okay, I need people to distribute my ransomware. So that could be, in this case, people who own the botnet or could do spamming runs and things like that. And they would get a percentage and it worked all the way down. And if you do not perform, so you do not send out X amount of installs or whatever, they'll kick you out. This kind of evolved and then it went on. And that model was something that we saw with Gancrab really, really obvious because they have had a lot of like job interviews and it transitioned over into Reevil. And the funniest thing was happening. We think it's, it's part of a result of like the things happening with the colonial pipeline attack and all the major attacks happening in the US where at a certain moment, ransomware was always had a safe haven on cyber criminal forums. So there's a couple of top tier Russian speaking cyber criminal forums where ransomware actors could actually open up shop, they could present what they had, and they could invite people to join their ransomware gang in order to infect people. And what we saw that in a result of basically the political reaction to the, the very impactful ransomware attacks, they banned the sale of ransomware. So inevitably, what they did, they made sure that these ransomware actors did not have a shop. They're probably still around on the forums, but not as obvious. So you see they're not really portraying that top tier place that they usually have. They like arbitration, for instance. So if you're not, if you're an affiliate and you got scammed by a ransomware actor, there's no way to complain because the forum would do that for you. You would have that. You would see if a ransomware actor would come on a forum or ransomware group, if they made a deposit. So how trustworthy are they? They would being somewhat held accountable by the other cyber criminals that are on the forum. And that whole power balance, because they were banned, is starting to shift. Not only that, we saw some other things happening that in spite of, and it's funny because I come from organized crime, and if there's a lot of money involved, there's always people unhappy. <laughs> I guess it's not only crime, but it's probably also true in business. And there's always people that feel that they are entitled to more. And in, the, and in this case, it was the same thing with, I believe, with Conti ransomware, where an uh, affiliate, somebody who actually worked and did the installs, did the intrusions on the network, wasn't happy with the amount of pay that he received. So they were attacking organizations, extorting them for millions of dollars, and all he saw was a $1,500 paycheck every week. Well, mind you, it's a decent pay, but it's not in balance to, or according to him, it was not in balance to the income or the, 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 uh, the profits the, uh, the ringleaders made. So he decided, so like, oh, I'm not so happy with this. I'm doing all the heavy lifting. Why don't I just like dump the whole attack playbook, everything how we do it, on the internet? So we can explain how everything's done and I'll spill the beans. So that to me is obviously a godsend because it's very handy for us from a friend intelligence perspective, learning from the adversary in this case. But it is a sign on the wall that people are not happy with the current way they're doing business. And this slowly progressed on to that you're seeing more autonomous groups that are well-trained. They really, really know how to 
like infiltrate and do basically uh, a computer network exploitation tactic. And they're really good at breaking in and compromising the whole network, getting the domain accurate credentials, basically doing 99% of the work and they have access to these systems. And then the last 90% of the work, the last 1% of the work as they see it is installing the ransomware. So what we will see or what we think is that because the heavy lifting is done from these affiliate groups, that by the lack of visibility on the forms, these affiliate groups are still present there. Does the guys doing the, or the guys and girls, or the people doing the infiltrations are still there, are gonna play a more important role than the actual ransomware actors, that they're gonna control who they are gonna sell their access towards. And that could even be by a public auction saying like, well, actually we have access to top tier organization X with a revenue of whatever, Who's interested? What do you have to offer? Who makes us the best deal to work with us as a ransomware team with your code in order to make our wow? Which percentage wise and all that stuff, which is basically different from what we saw in the last years where you had to apply for a job to get into the team, to be work hard, and then you get a part of the pay. The pay was good for a lot of folks and for some less, but still it was a different dynamic you really had to apply for it, whereas now it's the other way around. And finally, Chris Roberts, head of the Hillbilly Hit Squad, is not only considered one of the world's foremost geeks on counter-threat intelligence and vulnerability research, he's also a passionate advocate of underrepresented communities and people in the cybersecurity industry. Here he speaks with Tom Field and what motivates him to eliminate inequity. I think that inequity is is the one big one, and and it's it's more than just race, religion, color, skin, ethnicity, orientation. A lot of it comes down to just thought. I want people from different walks of life. I would love to sit down, and we do it. That's why we have hillbilly. I sit down. You know, it's part of the reason hillbilly is called hillbilly, is because you know I've got them. I mean, Jesse, the big Nebraskan guy who is electrical mechanical engineering mindset, you know, we've got sweet, you know, part Native American, part, part, you know, US based side of the world, but also huge on other areas. And the three of us together get together and you have this diversity of thought. Whenever we talk about security being a challenge or an issue, we complain about passwords, we complain, we're always talking to our own audience as opposed to, you know, we did it the other week. We got out on the street. We literally went panhandling on the street to just get people in their cars to think, to ask another question, to to look at the systems that they have and go, how can I secure myself a little bit better? What can I do about it? And then you add in those regional differences, those variations of thoughts and deeds. You know, we think about things differently than other people with different skin colors in different regions and different religious backgrounds different focuses from you know gender side of the world we all bring different thoughts to this and we all need an equitable voice in this as well that's it from the ismg security report theme music is by ithaca audio i'm anna delaney until next time Mm